Sometimes my friend, the late Dr. Bill Hull, would stand in the pulpit and he would say, now put on your seatbelts today. And that would be my suggestion to you for today. This is about as rough a sermon as I've ever given. But I hope you'll get it if you stay with me to the end. Every other Thursday morning for almost 21 years, a small group has met for breakfast and conversation. We've read books and essays. We've studied the Bible. We've talked current affairs. We've laughed and struggled together. Our latest conversation is based on a manuscript by an old friend of Brian Smith that is unlike anything we have ever read. The book is an analysis of the 70 weeks that's mentioned in the book of Daniel. Brian's friend says he can show that Daniel proves without a doubt that this prophecy accurately predicts the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And since it has to step out of time in order to foretell the future, the prophecy is an objective proof of the existence of God. That's a quote, an objective proof of the existence of God. Well, we had a lot of problems with the book and we're just on chapter one. But we did have a fascinating discussion about the existence of God. The book's premise that a supernatural prophecy would be an objective proof of God. Now leave it to the pastor to say the most unexpected thing, except that that's what many of you have come to expect from me. I wondered exactly what objective proof really means. And if you could objectively prove there was a God, would it actually be God you had proven? What I mean is, if science could measure or predict, observe or test the existence of it, would it be God those empirical measures had given or would that have to be, by definition, just some other force of nature? Science can prove that gravity exists, that time and matter are related, that the periodic table represents the elemental stuff of the universe, because you can measure all that stuff, you can see it. If not with the naked eye, you can see it with instruments or with mathematics. Science can prove that the universe has evolved, that there are stars and galaxies millions of light years away, that DNA controls what we look like and a lot of how we act, that diseases are caused by pathogens and can be cured by vaccines if you're willing to take them. You know, science can prove all of that. But I ask to our group, who would want or much less need a God who could be objectively proven? I mean, how big could that kind of God really be? The dictionary defines objectively as in a way that is not influenced by personal feelings or opinions. But could it be possible to remove personal feelings from belief in God? It's called belief for a reason. Now across the Zoom screen, I think it was Ron Pelt who said, yeah, but there are people who very much want proof, who need assurance that there is a God. 
And that just made me go and get all Baptist on them and start quoting Scripture. You know, Hebrews 11 says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Isn't that biblical definition then the opposite of a dictionary definition of objective? Believing, believing is hoping for God, not proving God. If you could prove God, you wouldn't need faith. And if you didn't need faith, could it be God? God is a conviction, not an empirical fact. God is a spirit, a force, a facet of the world that can be believed in, that can be trusted, that can be hoped for, loved, that can be served, but not seen, not directly. God can't be measured in any objective way. And because all of that wasn't hard enough, I went on to wonder out loud what it means to say that God exists at all, which of course made me sound like some kind of weird Bible quote not Baptist. I was just saying that by definition, to exist is to have objective reality or being. But God does not have objective reality. You cannot prove God. God is the most powerful subjective reality human beings have ever known. Nothing can change people like God can change people. You write that down. Nothing can change people like God can change people. But God is not an object, a material substance, a being Paul Tillich, the greatest, one of the greatest theologians of the last century, said, God is not a being. God is the ground of all being. You cannot prove God. I would not want to be able to. So maybe even the word exist, I mused, is the wrong word for God. Maybe it's too small a word for God. Maybe it's the wrong way to think about God altogether. You cannot prove an essence which is larger than existence, but you can believe in it and you can experience it. Which brings us back to old Job, whose world fell apart. Job lost his children. He lost his financial security his health crumbled. Job's wife even turned on him. And his friends showed up doing the very worst thing friends can ever do. You remember this. They came to give explanations for his problems. Dripping with religious platitudes, they had all the answers. They were a treasure trove of trite truisms. You say that five times fast. Life happens, folks. Life just happens. Now, Job's story may be 2,600 years old, but the reality 
that we read there is as contemporary as cancer and wildfire, coronavirus and chaos in the streets. And religious certainty, as it did for Job, still almost, almost always makes things worse. Religious certainty. But Job had courage and a deep, deep spirit, so much spiritual integrity that he dared to take his honest argument, the pain of his disappointment, directly to the source. Now, if I read the complex theology of Job's story correctly, what he found when life offered him the soul-seeking honesty of being fully human in a terrifying world Job found not some supernatural being outside of space and time, that man upstairs that controls everything. You know, don't push the story's literal picture beyond the intended metaphor. In the honest moment, Job found sacred mystery. We call that God. I had heard of you, Job said, when life was easy. But now, when life's hard happenstance has forced me to the real conversation, now I have experienced God. That verse goes on to say, Job ends by saying, I repent in dust and ashes, because encountering the mystery of God will always, always bring us to our knees in gratitude and in deep humility. Now, I understand that this is a deeply philosophical sermon. The pastor questioning what it means to say God exists, I get that that might be confusing. But what I believe and what grieves my heart, I feel this very strongly. I feel this all the time in the conversations I have with people. What grieves my heart is that the God the world is being given by too much of the church is just way too small. Way too small. We live in a sophisticated world. Our children are being raised on the science that says an infinite cosmos evolved over billions of years of time and chance. And they will grow in the shadow of quantum thinking that has changed the very basic understandings of those once immutable laws of nature. And our children will become adults in a world where computers think for them and work for them and drive for them, where artificial intelligence increasingly merges with human intelligence. Did you know that prosthetic hands made of plastic and metal and electrical fingers are already being controlled by a person's brain? It's not a mechanical connection to their shoulder. You can think to that hand, pick up that cup, and that prosthetic hand will reach and squeeze with just the right force to lift a coffee cup. It's a sophisticated world, people. We've got to quit giving such a simple God. 
The actual truth of the matter, if you can hear your pastor say it, is that the so-called God that many thoughtful, thought-filled 21st century humans have rejected as tribal and small and angry and impulsive, that God does not exist, cannot exist as our developed intelligence now understands this world. But no less an atheist than Sam Harris, whose popular books denounce God and religion and all believers as shallow and out of touch, no less than an atheist like Sam Harris can say there is clearly a sacred dimension to our existence and coming to terms with it could well be the highest purpose of human life. We need a God who can speak to Sam Harris. Life broke Job. It didn't break him down, it broke him open. And in that openness to what is most real and most true, Job rejected the simple certainties of religion, which allowed him to experience the sacred dimension of life, his highest purpose. In all of life's fullness, Job met God. In his ancient character, we find a perfect role model for the 21st century. May it be so. Amen.